I love Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Jane Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network, named after my sister, Marsha Joyce. And I am so excited. This is going to be fantastic. We have four of the authors of one of my, I have to say, this is the best anthology that this girl has read in a long time, and I've read a thousand books, more than that. Nothing good happened after midnight. But before I start, I made a very special promise to a very special nephew. Happy birthday, Christopher. Christopher is 11. He's in the fifth grade, and he takes after his aunt in so many ways. And I am so proud of you, and have a great day, and maybe next year. I'll be able to give you your presence in person. The sun sets, the moon takes its place, illuminating the most evil corners of the planet. What twisted fear dwells in that blackness? Well, Suspense Magazine really came up with a really phenomenal, one of my favorite this year, absolutely great. And I would like to welcome Jeffrey Diva, John Lesqua, Heather Graham, and Alan Jacobson. And a special thank you to you, Alan, for organizing this for me. Good morning, everyone. This is so cool. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Jeffrey Diva, I am totally honored. I just want you to know I have reviewed like eight of your books. You just didn't know it, though. Seriously. So if you have something new coming out, please send it my way. The Goodbye Man was one of my favorites. So the editor and publisher of Suspense Publishing, Shannon and Jack Webb, came up with the theme and genre uh, for this anthology. How did you decide that you, Jeff, how did you decide to become part of this anthology and create a really interesting introduction, which really did help me to understand what I was about to read? Hello? Jeff, are you there? Is he there? Jeff? His, his line is there. It's an, I don't know what happened. He's speaking very quietly. He's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> is he there? <laughs> That's weird. I don't His know. line is there. I just, I just opened, I opened it up. He's there. Jeffrey Deaver, are you there? I don't know. Okay, Alan. Maybe we're he'll show up in a minute. Can you hear me? Can he hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, okay. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> um, so, how did you decide you wanted to be part of this and created an introduction that really helped me understand all the stories that I was about to read? I don't hear him. I'm not sure he's okay, there, friend. What? I'm not sure he's there. He is there. The phone number is there. Oh, no, wait a second. I don't think that's him. No, that's not him. That's somebody else. That's Marsha. Is that you? Yes. Okay. Let me, let me mute her. That's somebody else. He's not there. Okay, Alan, you've been reluctant in the past to write short stories, and you've only written three compared to 13 novels. Why did you change your mind for 12.01 a.m.? And how did you create – well, let's start with that one first. Well, John and Shannon uh, sent me an email and said that they're thinking of doing a story, and uh, an anthology of stories, and here's the, uh, the theme. And as soon as I read the theme, I was like, that is really cool. That is, that is awesome. And I already – I mean, within minutes, an idea started to form. For a Karenville uh, short story, and so I said, "I'll do this." And yeah, I've I've been very reluctant uh, to write short stories, and the reason is, for me, you know, every writer's different, but for me, to write a really good short story, it takes a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of time, effort, and work. And if I'm going to put that much time, effort, and work into something, I'd rather be writing a novel. Uh, mm-hmm. Or working toward writing a novel. So, you know, if you don't do
do that. If you don't put the time in, you end up writing something, your name's on it, and it's not as good as what you're capable of writing. And my feeling is that I don't want somebody who's never read Alan Jacobson to read it and go, yeah, well, that, that wasn't very good, and then never pick up one of my you know, novels. Uh, or, or even if they have read uh, my, my work before, I don't want them going, well, he obviously just, quote, banged this out, which I hate that phrase. Um, and I actually had a publisher say that to me. Uh, and, and it wasn't malicious. He he was looking for something between novels because, you know, you write a novel a year. It, it takes a, a, me a year from start to finish to write, uh, plan, write, outline, and edit, mm-hmm. you know, so on and so forth. Um, so he was looking for something to keep my fans engaged in, in the interim. And he said, hey, can you bang out a short story? And it's like, okay. I, it just brought me the wrong way. I don't bang work out. You know, my name's on mm-hmm. it. It's going to be the best I could possibly do. So that's why I've resisted doing them. But when I hit on the idea for 12.01 a.m., it's like, I have to do this. I was just very excited. And it was worth the time and effort that I that I put into it. So I'm very, very, very happy it's a great story. No wonder that's the time I Thank get up you, and Joe. have coffee every morning. It's really, I don't know why. Since I read that book, I get up every morning at 12, 12 a.m. to make sure that I'm okay and have coffee. It's a fact. I'm serious, seriously. So how did you create the scenes in the prison? And You know, Karen Vale is a lot like me. Alan knows I, 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 she's got the same kind of personality. So why did she get involved? And tell us about the man. Well, that's one step at a time. We've got two more things yeah, on so, your next. So the scenes in the prison, I've done a lot of research for all my novels, and I've been to prisons uh, the legal way, not the illegal way. And, um, you know, so I've, I've visited them in their fascinating places, and I thought this would be uh, a perfect way to explore one. I did it in Karen Vale's debut novel, The Seventh Victim, which is, gosh, like a dozen years ago now. And um, it's just, it it seemed the perfect place to go because this prisoner's on death row and mm. the story is, you know, 12.01 a.m. So, I mean, what happens right after midnight, he he is theoretically going to be put to death. So, it just, it seemed right uh, in terms of the idea and uh, Karen Vale gets involved because Stevie, Stephen Ray Vaughan, not Stevie Ray Vaughan, mm. the musician, um, but Vaughn is due to be uh, put to death, and she worked on one of his cases back when he was an active uh, serial kidnapper and, and murderer. And uh, there's a, a kidnapping in the present time that appears to be his work, which obviously it can't be because he's been in prison. Uh, so uh, the detective on the case comes to her and says, hey, can you help me at all in this? Uh, because a woman's been kidnapped. So that's how she gets involved. I love her. I'm sorry. So the man on death row, <laughs> how is he linked to what happened yeah. in the present? Ah, She's so, scary, that uh, born guy. Let me tell you. Don't be a spoiler here now. Yeah, no, I know. No. I that's, be the question, that's the question he said I could ask. Alan approved okay. my questions before I asked them. I'm very careful. If I screw yes, up, those I, things, let me know. <laughs> I don't want something to slip out that will ruin the read. So... I, I do I know. make sure. <laughs> so uh, he makes sure I'm honest here. <laughs> yeah. So the so Vaughn is, uh, it, uh, you know, his he had a very specific way of of uh, kidnapping and, and murdering his victims, as as all these serial offenders do. And uh, you know, there's something in the case that. Uh, and a neophyte detective actually picks up on and asks the detective who worked the original Vaughn case, and then he contacts Karen Vale. And Vale agrees. She thinks that there's something uh, something to this and uh, gives them a, an important um, piece of information that, that, none of, uh, that the original detective was not privy to for a variety of reasons. So it sets them on the right uh, path to solving this. I think he just story. arrived. Hold on. Let me just tap connect this one. And that's if my phone it's, decides. Yeah, Jeffrey Deaver, is that you? Hi. 
It is indeed. How are you doing? I apologize for the delay. Had some uh, little chaos here in North Carolina, but it's all under control now. <laughs> well, there's a lot of chaos going around all over this place, too, so we're glad to have you. So my question Good. to you is, how did you decide that you want – I love this anthology, by the way. As you can oh, thank you tell so from much. my review, I love – this is my favorite – how did you decide to become to write the introduction? And by the way, thank you for writing an introduction that helped me to know what I was going to read. It was really great. So why did you decide to write the introduction to this particular phenomenal anthology? Um, well, I was um, actually invited by uh, by uh, John to do it, and um, I um, I love short fiction so much. If I could make a living. Uh, writing short stories, short form fiction, I would in an instant. And I, um, when I heard the idea, it, it there were so many different, uh, I mean, very different authors, of course, and very different approaches I knew they'd take. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, this is going to give me a chance to, of course, experience their fine writing. But I also wanted to make sure that the, the readers and potential readers had a mm-hmm. um, Kind of a, an idea of what what lay ahead because there were so many uh, mm-hmm. interesting interesting forms and you know I have to say I've read anthologies where uh, the introduction is here's some stories hope you enjoy uh, but I thought you know maybe we'll do maybe we'll do a little bit more than that and uh, so out it came and it gave me the chance to read them in in depth um, because uh, if you're going to edit an anthology read all the stories very important rule <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that must have been. I read every single one of them, but you see, I'm a music major, so this scared uh-huh. me. And I had to write a sonata oh, oh, as part of graduating with music. Oh, oh. I may never write it again. Yeah. So, so how? Yeah, seriously. Um, how does the midnight hour relate to your short story? And how did you decide on the main theme or the idea would be? And was this a real piece of music? Seriously. Um, well, uh, yeah. For your for your listeners, I, sh- I should explain the um, uh, wonderful title of the story uh, is mm-hmm. uh, nothing. Nothing good happens after midnight. Well, I thought. Know. Um, <laughs> I thought. Well, you know, the, the logical interpretation is the time midnight. Something bad happens after twelve oh one a.m. And I thought, you know, a lot of times I think I'd, I'd, I'd like to do something different even if it's wrong a completely disastrous idea and maybe be a little bit uh off base so i thought well uh, nothing good happens after midnight what if i were to create a piece of music called midnight like the midnight sonata mm-hmm. and that when somebody listened to it nothing good happened after that mm-hmm. uh kind of a a, a variation <laughs> and uh mm-hmm. believe me nothing good happens after some when somebody listens to the um uh, Sonata. Nothing good happens to that. I'll tell you. No, no, no. I, I made it up completely. I was a musician um, some years ago. Uh, not a very, not a very good one. But I, I, I was a much better songwriter than I was a was a musician. I've written a fair number of songs, but I, I can't perform them and can't sing them, and I cannot do anything classical. So, no, made it up out of whole cloth. Well, classical music is my thing, but this, let me tell you, I haven't listened to a piece of classical music since I read the book, read the story. I'm afraid I'm going to change, <laughs> I'm change so it. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I, just, I just after what happened that. to people. So you chose a haunting piece about the sonata, and what happens after someone listens to it? If they're brave. Oh, they go utterly. They, yeah, they go utterly psychotic, become homicidal, and uh, that's all good. Go absolutely nuts. Yeah, and you, you don't want to be in the same room with somebody when he says, "I've got a piece of music. Shall we put it on?" It's kind of like Hannibal Lecter <laughs> saying, uh, "Is it time for dinner yet?" <laughs> oh my God! Oh my God! So, if someone does something wrong and commits a crime, how, how do you defend somebody like that? You're know, like, you did it. So what? I mean, we don't care. Well, I. I you know, I was a, I was an attorney some time ago, and I um, I worked on. Well, I, people say, well, Jeff, you were an attorney. Um, really? You uh, write crime, so clearly you uh, you did criminal law. And I say, well, I represented banks. Draw your own conclusion. <laughs> and and uh, I actually, but I, I I find you know I loved the law a lot. I didn't really enjoy practicing law because uh, there's so much. There's just so much detail involved, and to do it right, you have to devote yourself 110% to the profession. I mean, you are dealing with, you know, people's lives and livelihoods and mm-hmm. their, uh, uh, their liberty in, in many cases. Uh, but I learned a great deal 
from the law, mostly about organizing. And I don't know if we probably have a chance to talk technique a little bit here, but I, um, mm-hmm. I'm an outliner. You know, the world is divided into uh, uh-huh. those who uh, are plotters and pantsers, as in seat of the pants, and I'm mm-hmm. a, a, a plotter. And so the law taught me to organize everything ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the scenes in like L.A. Law, and going back to Perry Mason, where there's suddenly a surprise mm-hmm. witness or there's a, uh, this piece of evidence that uh, materializes at the last minute, that, that doesn't happen. There are no surprises. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have a meltdown on the stand, of course, things like that. But generally, everything is known ahead of time. Well, that's the way I approach, uh, approach writing. And I, I, I just kind of like the idea, this concept of you know, legal research, legal organization. And so the law does work its way into many of my stories. And so I had to come up with this, uh, I think, uh, a, a creative, uh, if not of maybe pushing the bounds of credibility defense, you might call it. But um, mm-hmm. I couldn't, uh, couldn't let this um, occult thing get by. And I, I should say, too, it's one of the few occult mm-hmm. stories that I've, I've ever written. I just, I've decided to expand a little bit, and I've just written a couple more uh, that will actually they'll be out on uh, audible.com, original occult stories. But I just um, found um, it was a, um, uh, an interesting genre to work with, and this provided the perfect opportunity because, you know, we have some, we have these, the story, uh, Heather's story, the, 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 you know, we've got a, a graveyard story. We've got some uh, uh, odd goings on uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the, whole, uh, the whole world that these authors have created. And I thought, well, okay, that's good. Mine's going to be a little spooky side of, uh, of uh, tale telling. The story I really loved, and I really wish that, you know, maybe next time Kevin will come on. I want an intruder. I seriously do. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, if you ever, it, if you ever wanted a, to shut somebody off on a cell phone that's driving you crazy, that story was just so perfect. And John's with the ATM machine, John Land's Ben, oh, my God. These stories really uh, kept me going. I really, I really love them. By the way, Jeff, just to let you know, I reviewed practically all of your books. You just don't know it. I did. Oh, well, well, thank you. I, I, and I never had the that. honor so of, of interviewing you for any of your books, but The Goodbye Man was one of my favorites, seriously. So oh, if you have you. anything new thank coming you. out, just please send it, because uh, the more books I have, the more my husband's happy. It keeps me out of the stores and going shopping, which I never do. And Well, we'll do that. In fact, the a sequel to The Goodbye Man is coming out in uh, May, so uh, we'll make oh, sure good. you get a copy of that. Friend. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Then I'm excited. So, John... I loved it, Miss Hardy. You've got to write another one. Um, one of the for my favorite things is dealing with teens. And Heather, you, the both of you, you know, wrote on teens. Why did you just focus on teens? And this is a very, very current topic, based on popularity. This, this is so true. Well, that's, How come the, you decided that's the only that? thing that matters to teens. Is, is the reason I did it. I have a daughter, <laughs> and uh, she's a little bit beyond her teen years, but it, but the whole time that she was living with us. You know, there was this constant kind of undertone of mm-hmm. what is she trying to get away with and what is what are we doing yeah. to be careful about this. And one of the scariest things really that happened to us was a very common thing actually in our neighborhood is girls toilet papered their boyfriend's houses and their <laughs> trees in front of them. And, you know, they're doing this, of course, after midnight because you had to have everybody asleep and not paying attention. And it was just a... Uh, they took it as a lark, but I just wanted to take a look at it from a little darker perspective and go, what if it's not a lark? What if something goes wrong with this kind of simple idea? And that's what drove me to write the story. It was just, it was, they always say, write what you know. And I, I knew this inside out. And, the, you know, mm-hmm. the terror that it inspired in me when I thought my daughter might be going out toilet papering somebody's mm-hmm. house. <laughs> and sure enough, some bad stuff happened. I know. My father used to monitor my dates by the minute. If I was one minute late, I got grounded for life. Seriously. And they wouldn't give me a cell phone, and I had to just use a pay phone. I go, like, how am I supposed to tell you I'm going to be? I'll pick you up. You're not going home by yourself. So yeah. why did they decide to break? This is common if you read the news. Why did they decide to break into Jason's house? They, no, they didn't even have to break into his house. All they were going to do yeah. was throw these rolls of toilet paper over his you know, I his hedges it. and his trees. <laughs> and that's all just to tell him that somebody really is in love with him. And then, of course, rather than have one girl do it by herself, you have to bring mm-hmm. in the heroine that you love. 
and that turned out to be Carrie, who is kind of on the fence between being one of the one of the cool kids and one and being one of the um, popular kids. And the popular. That's so sad. It's, it's, Don't it's they realize reality. there's a pandemic and a shortage? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I should have really, I mean, somehow, I've, you know, put the pandemic in there. That was a great, that's a great idea. But unfortunately, the story was already written by then. <laughs> it's so sad. I mean, there was one day I went into the supermarket. I said, "Oh my God, what happened? Do you have tissues here?" That there was nothing. So I don't understand it myself, but there it is. I know. <laughs> I, I ordered a case from Amazon. It took three there months to get here. Yeah. So what was the original plan? Well, it's plan? not about and the toilet paper. It's so all good. about the. It's all about the, uh, you know, the freak, the freaked out nature of teenagers, and they are trying. Yeah, I know. They're always, kind of whittling down the totem pole of acceptability and see where everything fits, and you know they're they're just where they should not be, at a really mm-hmm. bad time, and the bad time is after midnight. Well, of course, I'm not. I'm telling you, I get up every night at 12:01 and take a cup of coffee and pray to God that there's nobody breaking in. No, it's well, just my your, witching hour now. Front, check your front hedges and see if there's any toilet paper dripping over them. <laughs> you know. so it seems innocent enough, but I have to tell you, there's been mistakes made, as they, you know, as we say in the passive voice, mistakes were made. That's scary. <laughs> You know, sometimes there's a good kid that's always good and doesn't really want to be good anymore and wants to see what happens if they get in trouble. It's really not that cool. So why did Carrie go along with this, and how did you create the scenes? Oh, my God, and she went along with it because she was being invited by none other than the unbelievable Dawn to do something that would make her one of the cool kids. Not me. And that's all she wanted to do. That's that's how you determine your success in high school is are you one of the Mm. cool kids or are you one of the bad kids? You know, or whatever it may be in, in, in any given school. But there's all these. I know, because these, these if you're clicks. popular, you're bad. If you're good, you're boring. That's what they told me. Yeah. So I, I, I chose I chose boring at times. So of course. <laughs> what did what did any of the teens learn? I mean, seriously speaking, well, you know, they learned it hurts Heather's to get especially. Shot. <laughs> as a matter of fact, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's too. No. I mean, all four stories you could write a sequel. Seriously. So well, if there was another chapter, would you continue it? Because just losing the end of the story, which I'm not going to tell anybody, um, you could write more. Seriously. Well, you know, I I kind of have a funny feeling about short stories. I believe that they are standalone pieces. They should each just, as Alan said kind of mm-hmm. earlier, you know, you got to do a really distinctive one idea story. That to me is the big difference between a novel and a short story. A short story isn't a collection mm-hmm. of anything. It's one story that mm-hmm. is really compelling. And I think that's what I got to with Easy Peasy, where this just came alive in my brain, and I said I had to hurry to write it and keep up with it. I probably wrote the whole story in under a day and a half. Oh, wow. You know, this is really Fran, good. This is Alan. I just want to inject something. Jeff, you said you were, used to be a musician. Don, mm-hmm. as well, used to be a musician. And you wouldn't believe it, but after li- listening to one of John's songs, after actually hearing him sing it, I started to become a little psychotic, too. So I just thought I'd throw that. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. <laughs> Here, I'm writing songs it all. Now kill I know people. why Red Death came out. Oh, my God, please. <laughs> And it explains it explains what I'm writing next. I won't even tell you. But Jeff, you gave me an idea. I mean, I just sit down and write and don't even check grammar and anything. I hand it to my editor and say, please fix it if it makes sense, whatever. I really should didn't do that. So, Heather, this story takes place at midnight. This is really scary. How did you create the scenes at the cemetery with Marcy and her ghost? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I mean, for one, I um, I have five children. So watch, I mean, they're, they're grown up now, but I remember uh, three boys and two girls. So I've kind of seen all of them behave badly and all of them behave well. Um, and the cemetery actually comes from the fact that I went to school with a girl whose father was the caretaker for a local cemetery uh, here in Miami. And she liked to have slumber parties in her backyard. So that's great. Yeah. Luckily, nothing bad ever happened in real life, <laughs> so that part was good. 
<laughs> I, I don't like going to the cemetery in real daylight either. So how does this drive the story forward? Because it does. It sort of, sort of pushes it. Well, I think, for one, um, the story takes place in New Orleans. Um, I am a Floridian, but I fell in love with New Orleans when I was about five years old. And um, I'm there constantly. We do a Writers for New Orleans there. And hopefully uh, we're in the planning stages of having a mystery convention there next year, VoucherCon, hoping that things get well by fall. Um, But their cemeteries are incredible. They're extremely atmospheric. They have to do with the water table and also because that was the Spanish style at the time Mm -hmm. when the, the... New Orleans was under Spanish authority when those uh, cemeteries went in. But there's just something about them. And I think maybe because I'm from Miami, but when you see other cemeteries, mm-hmm. there's, there's stories. There's stories about a person's life written um, on tombstones and on tombs. And, and I find them fascinating and very historical. This is interesting. So I like Let me tell you. And they're creepy, and therefore you're automatically creepy. <laughs> The, all the stories were creepy, but I still want an intruder. I have my reasons, people. And, 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 and Leonard Barkley's story was great, but I want the ATM machine that came out with all that money that came out, seriously. So, quite an ATM machine, wasn't That would be yeah. nice. Tell us about the group of teens and the role Marcy and Haley play. Well, I think, um, I, I think actually um, – John's pretty much so nailed it. There are, you know, there's a hierarchy when you're in school. And some kids tend to be the really popular ones. And I think for Haley, um, she has the benefit of not living there anymore. Yes, she's and, like... And, um, well, so she, teenagers she can be very revengeful, which is sometimes fun to write about, or you just feel like in your mind you want to, why am I such a good kid? Why didn't I do something to get back at that person that was mean? This is also about revenge in a sense. Tiffany was upset because she was not invited to the gathering in the cemetery. How come? Now, she's my kind of character. She's evil. <laughs> <laughs> well... She wasn't invited because she had just broken up with the boy that the hostess oh, had so the crush on. So you don't invite, thing. you know, you don't invite your competition if you're doing mm-hmm. something. But she was also, um, you know, and the Haley says it. You don't want anything bad to happen to anyone. Um, but mm-hmm. she had had a sense of humor and a determination to get even with mm-hmm. them for not inviting her. That was not very nice. She's not very nice. What was this cemetery like? Jeff, piece of music, and the, the toilet paper, and the prison. What's odd about this cemetery? It's not a normal cemetery. I wouldn't go there even if the, there were bright lights and the sun was brightly shining. <laughs> ever? No, seriously. Um, it's it's actually very much like many cemeteries in southern Louisiana. So. Uh, uh, they exist, and, and like I said, they're just they're, they can be so historical that it's fascinating. And I, I love cemeteries in New England too. When you find the Revolutionary soldiers and, um, and all the different uh, epitaphs that people have down for them, it's it's I, it's fascinating. And it's scary. I, I'm able to save myself from being afraid by being determined. I'm I'm going to be um, cremated and thrown in Biscayne Bay. So therefore, I don't think like, oh my God, you're fine. So there you go. <laughs> No, I decided that they're going to stuff me and put me in Nordstrom so I could do fashion because I, I don't believe I'm going under anywhere, for real, seriously. And I want to make sure that I get hair and makeup. And there you, you go. Know, we have there to, you go, absolutely. I mean, seriously, yeah. it's, it's important. So when the officer warns them to be careful and not stand, stay past midnight, why incite him? Well, I I think that they're kids and they're going to be polite yeah. to the cop, you know, to his face, and then they're going to do whatever they want to do when they think that they can. Um, and I think that uh, he was telling them the truth. There's a killer out, and you guys need to be careful. Um, and they just wanted, you know, it's funny with young people, or I know when I was young, we don't believe in our own mortality. So it's kind of like, oh, yeah, they're yeah, not trying to scare us. We're fine. That is the key point, Heather. I mean, they just yeah. kids don't believe in mortality, and they wind right, up doing exactly. things that are just, you know, you look at it and you go, 
you're one of the smart kids and you did that? Are you kidding me? And yeah. It's not that they're dumb, it's just that they don't believe in mortality. You just got Right. The they're willing to take all kinds of risks. Can anything go wrong? You betcha something could go wrong, but it's not going to go wrong with me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we can they, look at the pandemic behavior. The kids' yes. pandemic behavior, yeah. you know? Yes. It's not going to yeah, stop well, me exactly. from hanging out in the bar. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Go to the mall, you know. Yeah. Have a drink or nine. <laughs> that, yeah. That's so true. You know what's even worse is that my my mom, she was great. I, I hate getting compared to other people. So when you compare a good kid that's like myself as an A student to someone that may be an A++ student, then you sort of like get upset. So <laughs> kids don't like to be compared. They want to be who they are. So the final scenes in your story, Heather, I had to turn the lights on and make sure that it was safe. And it was daylight. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you. So what lessons should children have learned? And would you continue this story if you had to? Or is this ah, a standalone? That's an interesting question. Um, I actually love short stories because my books tend to be series. Um, I think mm-hmm. I have one series, Crew of Hunters, that's been going on for 10 years now. Um, mm-hmm. And I love it. I love what I do. But I also enjoy um, a short story. And I actually love it. I, First of all, I love John and Shannon, and um, uh, mm-hmm. Jeffrey and John are both people that I tremendously, and Alan. Uh, so to be in this together with people that I think so highly of is a great thing to begin with. And mm-hmm. then, um, like I said, I just think the world of them. And I love short stories and having that theme, nothing good happens after midnight. The theme mm-hmm. itself is just great, and it's so much fun to work with. Did you happen, so, you happen Heather, to actually say those words to your kids? Because I know I said those words kind of. <laughs> they said, I stay out after midnight, and I, I must have said it a hundred times. I said, because nothing good happens after midnight. When I got the call from John and Sharon about this, this story, I said, well, this is. This has got my name all over it. I know exactly what I'm doing. So it was fun. And, 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 and you all did. So I have a question that's not on the page. And seriously, um, Heather, you write series. John, you write really good series. Alan writes fantastic series. And Jeff writes series. How do you how do you write a series and keep somebody like me that's read over 10,000 books seriously wanting to read more? And I can't wait for more from everybody before I ask the rest of the questions on the page. That's a question that's hard because after reading, uh, I mean, Dick Belsey's book, Claire Carlson, is my, one of my favorites. How do you keep it so that people want to read it and don't just say it's the same character, just another story? Mm-hmm. I'll, uh, if I can jump in here, um, the, um, there's a phrase they have in, or expression they have in Hollywood that when a uh, producer wants to uh, do a new movie, he or she wants something that has uh, been wildly successful in the past, and yet no one has ever seen it before. Right. And, you know, we laugh about Hollywood because that's a, that's a, that's a definite Hollywoodism, and yet there's a grain of truth to that. So in my case, I write, um, I, I do standalones, I like standalones, but I, I do mostly the series, the Coulter Shaw series and the Lincoln Rhyme series. I love him. And so, so how the uh, my uh, comment just a moment ago applies to that is, is this, that I have a formula for each of those books. They, they take place over a very short period of time, a lot of forensic mm. stuff in the Lincoln, Lincoln books, uh, lots of twists and turns. You know, I love my surprise endings, plural. So that's the mm-hmm. deeper formula. So that, that's what readers are going to get. They know they're going to get that, and they want that. But my challenge is to find something different, and that tends to be the world in which I set the books. For instance, uh, the Cutting Edge, Lincoln Rhyme book set in the Diamond uh, community, uh, both in India and uh, uh, New York. Uh, the Broken Window is about the data mining world and the dangers of that, uh, a Lincoln Rhyme book. So that's how I kind of uh, work to um, uh, consolidate uh, the two keep the ideas fresh if I can, but make sure mm. readers get what they are looking forward to. Yeah, I think in my case, I've got you know, I got characters that Dismas Hardy and Abe Blitzky appear in all the books, but I think what keeps the books fresh is I always work from a thematic uh, beginning. Mm-hmm. I come up with a theme much more than I come up with a plot. And I go, okay, now I know what the book's about. Now the question is, how do I tell the story? 
And unlike Jeff, I am not a uh, planner. I'm a pantser. And so I just sit down and hopefully something shows up. <laughs> and it's, it's been doing that for 30 years now, so like I'm Jeff because confident it can keep happening. When I was young, I found out that people would pay you for a synopsis. So I learned mm. how to write a synopsis <laughs> very quickly. Uh, yes. Uh, but I think with the crew of Hunter series, they're all associated by the fact that they're crew of Hunter. They work for a special unit of the FBI. There are different people and, then of course, recurring characters who are part of it. Um, and a lot of things that, that we've done that many of us have done, one of the, our organizations, Thriller Writers, went into the FBI several times in, mm-hmm. and in, in New York City. And going in there can give you ideas that can last forever. <laughs> so, um, really? I, I, yeah. The only thing I'm a little worried about is I have a new series coming out next year beginning in March. The first is going to be Dangers and Numbers. And it's associated by the fact that it's based on uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse and somebody who is bringing mm. them all back. But I had no idea that we were actually almost going to be in the apocalypse <laughs> when I turned the book in. <laughs> That's going to be well, you have to send it to me so I could be the first one to review it <laughs> and give it ten lost. stars. And, I, I and Alan knows that Fran doesn't do Fran doesn't. If a book doesn't get three and a half, four stars, I won't review it because I don't pan work. It's not my thing. I don't write negative reviews, and I've gotten a Could few on my last everyone, book, uh, and, and I don't care. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just have a question for everyone. Um, I am uh, I'm doing uh, working on two novels now, uh, both be published next year. I have not oh, nice. um, acknowledged the pandemic at all. Are are you all oh, good. Uh, taking that into your uh, your writing for stories or novels? You know, it's amazing, Jeff. As I'm reading Michael Connolly's new book, The Law of Innocence, uh-huh. I don't. He must be writing this like, be you know, giving the pages that print out automatically onto my computer. <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is so on the money on this pandemic thing, and I'm just going, how could he have written it then? You know, and, and, and been so right about this. So he got it in there. I just want to tell you, it's it's, it's showing up in A-list fiction now. Interesting, interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated. He's really doing a great job with it. Depressing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it he, is. Well, he does shot. Is you know, he's just like too yeah. good. Yeah. This is yeah. so. This is so cool. I'm learning a lot by just listening to you about what I'm doing wrong when I'm writing and what I should do right. This is really good. I just write I something and it just comes to my head and I pray to God that it. it sounds right. So, is, Brenda, when you approach a short story, wait, wait, it's different yeah, from yeah. a novel. What is Heather going to say, My hard thing is to figure out what should I write about and what are people going to want to read. So I write from the point of view of the dead person behind the gravestone, and they tell their story which is really bizarre, but it's just different. So how do you decide how to approach a short story as opposed to a novel, which is different? Uh, well, I'll just give up. My, a lot. Oh, go ahead, Heather. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I think I've no, done, no, no, because people have, um, besides John and Suspense, I think I've done at least four others that have been done specifically because of the pandemic, because they're fundraisers for um, various uh, people who are out of work for, you know, for various things that are happening now because of the pandemic. Um, I also do a novella every year for a mutual friend of all of ours, Liz Berry, who owns something called The Thousand and One Dark Nights. And I asked mm. her when I was turning mine in, do you want a reference to the pandemic? And she said, God, no, I want my fiction fun. So it's like, okay, I want uh, yeah. mm-hmm. I have wanted it. So I think it just Agreed. depends. Yeah. Well, I, you know, just, Real quick, I have thought about that. I've pondered it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, one thing that that the drawback to it is that it places it in time. If you're going to use specifically uh, coronavirus or COVID nineteen, right. um, so you know, I mean, I do other things that place it in time because uh, you know I can't help myself. There's there's technology references. There's you know whatever uh, devices mm-hmm. that that come up, and and I made that that choice a long time ago it is it is what it is it'll place it in time and it's just the way it goes uh it's the story that matters but um i did while i was working on the copy edits for red death which is the eighth karen vale novel that came out a couple months ago um i i said you know what this is something that that wouldn't happen and i should acknowledge that there has been a pandemic so i didn't put the pandemic in the story as 
as here and now today, but I did mm-hmm. mention it uh, in passing that this is something that would not have happened, you know, when when the pandemic was was active. So, uh, you know, something to that nature. So I did ignite, I gave a hat tip to it. Mm-hmm. It did happen. It was there, but I didn't put it in there as it's it's now. Um, so. Mm-hmm. I think that there's two. I mean, because traditional publishing moves so fast. I do yeah. the one hardcover and three crew novels every year, and they've all been turned in, uh, turned in way before the mm-hmm. pandemic. So right. well, I think it depends on, yeah. And then again, you're right. Um, maybe in <laughs> in the final copy edits, there might be some mention. Well, I'm, I'm curious to see how things go in January. Do you have any trouble getting print copies to people that want to review them or print copies in general? Because I won't read anything that's not in print, and I've got like 25 people that said they were sending me some things, and USPS, I don't know what happened to them. So I don't know. Do you have any trouble with most most of the books are getting net galleys, and I turn them down? It's really sad. So I don't know if you guys are having trouble with the the warehouses sending print copies out, because that bothers me too. Well, I haven't had anything out since May, so, um, uh, I mean, other than this and uh, other than the anthology, so uh, I haven't experienced that yet. We'll, we'll see next year, but I, I, I suspect not. I hope not. My publisher so a lot of publishers wanna... are just printing them out to send me. They actually have to print the book out. I'm going to be just moving away for a minute. I'll be right back. Okay. All right. <laughs> Yeah, my publisher preferred to uh, go with digital. Uh, they would oh, well. do printed galleys when necessary, and that's how you got Red Death. But they warned me that mm-hmm. the pandemic was uh, hampering their ability to get um, printed copies out. That's the first time I had heard of it. That's so sad. Cause I had to turn down so many. And then when I did, they said they would print them out anyway. So it doesn't matter. So, an anthology well, I, creates, I think, and I could yeah, be so wrong, Heather, that they're staying you? out of the offices as much as possible. Right, exactly. That was my impression. <laughs> they didn't explain it, but that was what I got from it. Oh, it's so sad. An anthology creates a venue to hear the voices of the authors that contribute the narrative. Boy, there's so many voices in this one. The plot line, adding commentary, making sure that the unique voice of the collection heard by the readers. Every story deals with Midnight. So how did this collection do that? Because this is so rare. And why did Suspense Magazine decide on that for this particular um, area? This is brilliant, let me tell you. Well, it's all about the title. And when you get a good title like that, you might as well run yeah. with it. Yeah. And if I understand the story correctly, I was talking to John and Shannon at another event, venue, and I may have this uh, incorrect. I can't remember the, the author, but Dean Koontz comes to mind, but it could very well be somebody else. I think that uh, John and Shannon were having dinner with Dean Koontz and his wife, and the, the the subject of Nothing Good Happens After Midnight came up, and I think John said, that's our title right there. And yeah. I, I could be misspeaking. It could be another author, but I, I, uh, I may be conflating that with another uh, dinner he had with Dean Koontz, but, but that came to mind. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes uh, it hasn't mm-hmm. happened to me because the titles always come later for me, uh, but um, the, maybe this was one of those moments when the uh, title inspired an entire work rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the title mm-hmm. really does it. But before I forget, Wednesday, the 23rd at 10 a.m., Boyd Morrison will be here with Morada, and we're going to talk about Clive Gussler and I'm, put the show in memory to him. On the 28th, oh. <laughs> yes, I just thought that would be the right thing to do. On the 28th, Matt Coyle and Blind Vigil. Oh, my God, is that good? On the 30th, because of what I said on the second on my show when I found out that my hairdresser has COVID, uh, yeah, uh, Sage Webb has a good sense of humor, and she's going to be back again for the Venturi effect. And nothing better than starting the fifth. If anybody wants to join one of my panel shows, they're a riot. Uh, Dick Belsky, Vincent Sandry, Charles Salzberg, uh, we're going to be here, the, uh, and Derek McGann, we're going to talk about the publishing industry and how it's changed and the, the different different um, genres and the different independent publishing, whatever comes to their mind. Oh, and John Land, can't forget him. So that's just starting <laughs> the, the year. And on, Jay, um, on 20th, James Grapando said that he would do a half hour with the 20. And there's a whole lot more coming up after that. So... 
Each story has one character that has a flaw. If one of your characters in this anthology could speak, what would they say that they learned or didn't learn, or would they do it again? Well, my woman, my my female lead, whose name is Carrie, Carrie's going to yeah. wake up one morning and realize she doesn't want to be one of the popular kids if it means hanging out with these losers. Mm. I always wanted to be one of the popular kids. I didn't get that way, but I'm better off probably. It's okay. What, what about I guess my you, response to that question would be, oh, sorry, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, who, me, Jeff? Yeah, Jeff. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, uh, I was doing an interview one, one time, and the uh, uh, interviewer said, you know, most of the interviews we do are like this. They're fun, and they're, it's all kind of softball mm-hmm. fun stuff. But he, he, he looked at me, and he said, what do you say to the charge that your stories are, we were talking about a book, are manipulated? And that you manipulate the author, uh, you, you manipulate the audience. And I said, thank you. That's what I try to do. It, it, that's the whole point of this. That's correct. My, uh, my stories are, I, I really am quite calculating about it. Um, I don't care if somebody, if there's no message to the story, if the characters don't uh, learn anything, especially in a short story, because I think a short story exists solely for the twist. No exactly. other purpose. We can dislike every character in it. You can do that for 40 pages. You can't get away with that in a novel, of course. Mm-hmm. I don't like anti-heroes. We need to like our main characters. But for um, my um, uh, my story in this this anthology, I uh, I was willing to sacrifice everybody. Nobody learns anything except just don't mess around with weird sonatas that are probably going to end up you know, turning into a homicidal maniac. But that's kind of a lesson we could have figured out anyway. But, uh, so uh, anyway, that's that's my response to to it uh, to your your wonderful question. Thank you. That's scary. I think that Tiffany learned you don't mess around in a graveyard, but she learned it a little bit too late. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I think that whole graveyard thing is like you put a graveyard in, you know things are not going to work out too well. <laughs> you might as well put a little beginning, you know, a little note at the beginning. Note: a graveyard appears in this book. Right. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like the gun in Chekhov. You know, if it shows up in the first act, it better go off by the third. Right. Exactly. You know, so you know, I think Karen Vale uh, learns the very uh, fact that nothing good happens after midnight, uh, but. Yeah. Sometimes it might. Sometimes something good might happen. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I wanted to put a little spin on that. Uh, perhaps something good does happen after midnight. Okay, the hardest thing for an author to write, you know, I read too many books, and I read a whole bunch last week. I really did. And I got one yesterday, and I read it in an hour. I really did, seriously. The hardest thing sometimes is the ending. Sometimes I, f- I actually do figure out a lot of them. I actually figure out who did it. So how do you create an ending where somebody like myself or someone's not going to figure out, oh, my God, did that person really do that? Or what, where, did, where did that come from? Or instead of saying, oh, yeah, I knew that, how do you create an ending that leaves the reader saying, oh, my God, is there going to be a sequel to this? Is this really over? How do you do that? Because that's hard, a good ending for a book. Well, it's the ball game. And John, I hope you didn't kill off Wyatt. Seriously, you promised you wouldn't. No, Wyatt. Wyatt is going to be coming back. I'm sure. Oh, good. Thank God. (laughs) I I think one of the things that bothers me, and it doesn't matter whether it's a story, a book, or a movie, is is you've got to be careful not to just pull somebody out of the the woodwork. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's if it's some kind of a whodunit, um, it has to be at, at the end. You know they can't have been in Arizona at the time of the crime when it happened in Virginia. You know, you've got to have, I think you've you've just got to keep it, um, keep it so that you don't know, but that it Mm -hmm. is plausible and that the person will hopefully go, oh, my God, yes, yes, that could have been it. No, I I totally agree with Heather. Go ahead, Alan, oh, yeah, I mean, it's, you have to be fair to the reader. You can't, uh, uh, you know, say, aha, well, you thought it was, you know, you, you have to, in my opinion, 
allow the reader to look back after they after mm-hmm. the reveal and go, oh yeah, okay, I didn't mm-hmm. see that, or I or I you know it was there, but I just didn't process it the way the author, uh, you know, intended. You could take something multiple ways, and you know, so you could miss it and. Um, you know, there's there's a difference too. Some people say, "Oh, I figured that out on you know page 50." And it, I don't know if they really figured it out. They may have had an inkling, like, "Oh, you know, it could be him, could be her," you know. But when they get to the end, "Oh, yeah, I figured that out." Did they really figure it out? I don't know. Not it's really. Hard to say, but yeah, not not probably not really. But um, you know, if uh, there are some people who just zero in, who think the way you think uh, as the author, and um, you know, for me, like Jeff, I'm I'm an outliner. I'm a, you know, my outlines are are quite long, not as long as yours, Jeff, but 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 close to it. I mean, they they could they could approach 150 pages, um, mm-hmm. but right. you know, and sometimes they even start writing while I'm in the outline because it's, the scene just comes sure. to me. So I don't say, oh, don't write sure. it now. You know, I just go with it, right? Um, but I always know what the endings are and, um, you know, before I start writing and, and to me, that's really important because it's, it's a roadmap to me and I need to know where I'm going and that's the only way I could make things fit together neatly. But, you know, as, as we have all said numerous times at, at different points, uh, all authors think differently, our brains work differently, our creative process is different and, what works for me won't work for John, and what works for John won't work for me. And it's, you know, it's just the way it is. We're all different. Wait a minute! I've been copying you for years. What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, case in point, John. <laughs> it's not working. Is that why? You see, you can't, you can't fool me because I've read both of you. What can I say? So yeah. before we end, I think the hardest thing for me too is how do you decide? who to murder, and where the murder is going to take place, if it's a murder, it's got to be something good. And I love, I love prologues because sometimes the murder happens there. And not everybody does that. So how do you decide who you're going to kill in the story? The poor victim. Uh, well, well uh, it, it's always the cheerleader who, who goes back into the house when she knows that the killer is in there. That's obvious. Uh, that's is, cool. Is there any other victim we <laughs> need to take? No, I think 20 people have been killed before. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me just say a thing about character, if I could, because I, I think uh, we, we've talked a lot about plot and, uh, and so forth. And, and I am a plot driven author the plots are paramount mm-hmm. to me but the best plot in the world is useless if you don't have uh characters, characters that resonate yep. they need to, to be both the good guys and the bad guys uh have to uh have have depth to them and as far as the the victims go uh they too need to um uh be uh, i was going to say living breathing human beings up to a certain point but mm-hmm. um we um you know, we. I think it's important not for any moral uh, position about talking about death and murder and crime, but for the emotional engagement between the story and the reader to create uh, characters that we are going to miss. So I would never have a a, a victim. Uh, it's harder to do in a short story, of course. Short stories really are more plot driven. But in a novel, mm-hmm. I would never have a victim uh, who uh, was was killed. And uh, that death did not result in significant emotional consequence because, you know, when mm. somebody dies, the family is, is yeah. involved, friends are involved, yeah. and uh, we, we need to uh, feel something. So in answer to your question, basically, I would simply make sure that uh, whoever the, the victim is, um, we, we set it up so that they are um, a, a, you know, a re- real person that we can kind of empathize with. Now, I will say I do not. Uh, like to hurt children and animals in my books. I'll scare the hell out of them. But that's yeah. just something I kind of stay away from. And I tend not to do right much about uh, sexual violence. And that's a lot of people doing this. You know, obviously nothing wrong with it. I'm just not really comfortable doing that. So that's kind of my take on, on the uh, the victims. I have to say, I think my favorite thing is years ago, um, I have a, a son who's an Arthur Murray dance instructor, mm. and so I did pro and competitions for several years. And I loved the studio. It was a great studio and lots of fun people. But they knew I was writing a book called Dead on the Dance Floor. 
And we all had a suggestion <laughs> of who I should kill. <laughs> that explains I, I, why I don't take dan- I took dancing lessons as a kid. You just made it, me understand why I hated them. Because I, I was like deathly on the dance floor. I was the biggest one. So before we end, what is next for each of you? And where can we find out more about your work? And when am I getting more of it? Because this keeps me... <laughs> centered and I don't think about the fact that there are people out there that are so sad and I hope to God every that um, next year everybody could have this real fest and I come and say hi to everybody in person again with yeah, my, yeah. yeah I hope so because this is horrible so what's next for everybody and where can we find out about more of you and your work and when am I getting it no seriously well my um, next book well, this is John my well, next book is The Missing Piece it's a Dismas Hardy story and it doesn't come out until November of 2021. I don't know why, but that's the way they put it. So look for it next year. <laughs> well, I'm going to bother your publicist until I do, and I know who that is. Is it still David? <laughs> David. So I remember everything. Well, Jeff, when is your book coming out that I'm getting? Oh, May, right? Um, I have uh, well a couple things. I have a couple things coming out. I have an Amazon original oh, story coming out in uh, January called Turning Point. I have the Audible oh, nice. um, three uh, occult short story original download coming out in April. That's called Unsettling. Uh, my book, uh, my next Coulter Shaw book, a sequel to The Goodbye Man is entitled The Final Twist. That's out in May of next year. And then my Lincoln Rhyme book, um, <gasps> I love Midnight, him too. Midnight, Midnight Lock will be out in November of next year. So that's kind of a been a busy year. I've been sitting in a dark room with nothing to do for the last year except write. So <laughs> what the hell? What the hell else is there to do, folks? So. Well, tell them to print out copies for me because I want to read all of them. I'm telling you, this so, is what oh, keeps yeah, my yeah, mind yeah. going and it keeps me off of everything else that's happened. And I don't know about you, but I've had family members that have had this horrible virus. So hopefully, oh, dear. everybody's going to be happy. So Alan. What's next for you yeah. and Karen Vale? So uh, I think, uh, well, I can tell you definitely uh, I have a new novel, a standalone that could become a series called The Lost Girl, and that is oh, uh, no one knows that title until this moment. Um, that is, that is mm-hmm. a, a reveal, yes. It's called The Lost Girl. Uh, Suspense Publishing actually will be putting it out. And um, I'm very excited about it. It takes place uh, in part in Oakland, California, and um, and some 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 parts of the Central Coast in California. So that that's uh, very exciting, and it'll be late March of uh, 2021. So about three months from now. And well, just uh, let me know when you want the interview because March is filling up fast. Oh, okay. I will I will book that with you uh, after the show. Um, Thank you. And uh, I'm I'm starting to work on an Obsig Team Black series uh, novel, which uh, is the other series I write, Covert Ops. And uh, I'm I'm not sure if Karen Vale will be in that one yet. Um, I think so, but uh, it, it depends on how the story unfolds in my outline. And everybody said, everybody, I want to thank you a million times. Oh. Uh, for those of oh, you that are in warm climate, would you, Wait, Heather, where do we find out about forget, you and where can we find out more about you and your work? I don't want to leave anybody uh, out. And I please, if you're in Florida, would you send me some heat, please? Yeah, I have danger numbers coming out in mid-March. And um, I've also got too? something called, when we were talking about the COVID or not COVID, I got crazy and wrote under my pseudonym, which is Shannon Drake, Daughter of okay. Darkness and Light, which is coming out in audio, which I will also as print, but um, <clears throat> that will be out sometime early next year. And it was one of my favorite because I thought I'm going to write something that has nothing to do with COVID and you can't even think about it. And it's historic <clears throat> in Arthurian Britain. And um, one of my kids came in and said, yeah, but aren't you forgetting the Black Plague? So mm. there's no black plague or COVID in it. <laughs> it's a total Arthurian fantasy. I am so glad because I really basically don't want to read about it because every every news article, every email, every warning, everything about that I get on my phone, don't don't go on Newzella because that's all they have is COVID. And when I put on the news and they show a picture of that horrible whatever it looks like, I turn it off. I can't look at it anymore. 
But I want to thank everybody. And um, Heather, you're in Florida. Would you please send the heat? Because we want to have another snowstorm on Thursday. And I really don't want it. Are you kidding? And anybody else that's warm, please send me some heat. <laughs> Gallon two in California. <laughs> you bet. Thank you so thank much. You. This has been so thank much you. fun. I appreciate it. Everybody, have a great day. And what I say at the end of all of my shows, one small ask. Please protect me. I'll protect you. Please wear a mask when you go out. Social distance. Follow the guidelines, and maybe we'll get rid of this monstrosity by next year. Everybody have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.